All right. Well, one of the things that's uh, certainly true in this day and age is that we have a ton of experts telling us what we should or shouldn't be doing with our kids. Uh, there's no shortage of experts, self-proclaimed, either in the sometimes even in the church, and then also in the wider world and on online. Especially, you got parenting blogs galore. You got parenting memes. You got everything telling you exactly what and and what you should and shouldn't be doing, down to very details. But today, we need to look at actually what are the responsibilities that the Bible actually lays upon us as parents. So, pastor and writer Kevin DeYoung says this in his book Crazy Busy. Parenting has become more complicated than it needs to be. It used to be as far that Christian parents basically tried to feed their kids, clothe them, teach them about Jesus, and keep them from explosives. <laughs> now our kids need to sleep on their backs. Oh, no, wait, their tummies. Oh, no, wait, their backs. While listening to baby Mozart, surrounded by C starry, starry night, they have to be in piano lessons before they are five and can't leave the car seat until they're five foot six. (laughs) Here's what he says. The longer I parent, the more I want to focus on doing a few things really well and not get too worked up about everything else. With my kids, teach them the Bible, take them to church, Laugh with them, cry with them, discipline them when they disobey, say sorry when I mess up, and pray a ton. I want them to look back and think, I'm not sure what my parents were doing or if they even knew what they were doing, but I always knew my parents loved me. I knew they loved one another. That's my addition, but I think it's vital. And I knew they loved Jesus. I think these are good words from a good Christian thinker. So what I want to do right now is to relieve some pressure that you might be feeling in regard to all the things that you think you should be doing with your child as a parent. I think it's time to simplify. There's a lot of things you could be doing with your kids, even a lot of good things, but there's a lot of expectations of parenting out there, and sometimes there is even uh, expectations which are more cultural that the Bible does not place upon us as, as requirements. So as Christians, I want us to be joyfully free from false guilt, which is associated with not doing the things that the Bible doesn't actually require. Right? So if the Bible doesn't require it, we don't want to be burdened with deep guilt if we're not doing it. However, at the same time, we want to embrace and live out what the Bible actually does say we're responsible to do our kids. Because ultimately, our authority isn't Facebook. Our authority is the Word of God. So if this is telling us that it's something we ought to be doing, then we ought to be doing it, right? But if this doesn't speak to it, now we can't place the burden upon ourselves that it must be true. It must be what we need. So let's take a minute and think. Our God-given responsibilities. This is where you help me. What do you think, as you from your study of the scripture, what would you say are the essential components and the essential responsibilities that God actually places upon us as parents? And organic food is fine, but it does not make them the list. What are the essential responsibilities that you have as a mom or a dad? Require obedience. Require obedience. 
Raise them up in the Lord. That can mean a whole heck of a bunch of things. Any particular thing, Mike? Teaching them. Okay, so teaching them about the Lord's ways. Essential responsibilities. To love them. To love them. Protect them. Protect them. Okay. Protect them from physical harm, other kinds of harm. Provide for them. Provide for them. Good. That covers most of them. We'll go into a little bit. Um, uh, let's see. All right. I've got my printed double sided today. Here's what I would. Here's how I put it. In. Yep. These are on the handouts. Uh, they're in. And number one, instruct them. We're going to go through some scriptures for each one of these. Ephesians 6.4, we've already covered this one in our Ephesians series. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up, but nurture them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Deuteronomy 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. All these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. So, instruction. Proverbs 1 through 9, that's an extended instruction from a father to the son, to his son in the ways of the Lord. So, instruction in the ways of God and especially in the gospel. Number two. So, instruction is number one. Number two, don't. A negative command, don't exasperate them, but be loving and patient and kind. So Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. We're not to exasperate or provoke our children. Number three, kind of the flip side of requiring obedience that Chris mentioned, we discipline them when they disobey. So Proverbs 19.18 says, Discipline your son, for there is hope. That's a good word, right? Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Well, how would we set our hearts on putting him to death? By not disciplining them. Okay? Even, uh, even maybe getting down a little bit more practical, Proverbs 23, 13, and 14, do not withhold discipline from the child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol, or from the grave. Now, we're going to get to the specific corporal punishment and things like that, but I want you to notice at least one thing from, t- from, that, from that verse, and that is that biblical discipline, when it's rightly applied, not only is not destructive, but it actually preserves from destruction. Biblical discipline preserves your child from destruction, according to God's design. And then we see that, of course, as God deals with us as sons. Hebrews 12. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Not disciplining our children is a sign that we're treating them not as sons. We're actually not treating them as sons and daughters. Number four. We provide for their material needs. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for those of his own household, he's worse than an unbeliever. So our children have all manner of physical needs. We need to provide for them. That's our responsibility. 
And then I love number five. We need to be thankful for them and welcome them and cherish them. They need to be cherished. They need to hold a dear place in our hearts. Psalm 127 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. So that means that we're to see our children not as something that's an, an annoying obstacle to whatever our agenda is. We need to see them as something, a blessing, even in the midst of when they're driving us nuts. Right? So we cherish, <laughs> we cherish, and we value them, and we treasure them. Those are the five things that I would say are the essential responsibilities that God actually puts upon us and expects of us as parents. Now, there's a great deal more material in the Bible that's relevant, but when you actually break it down to the direct commands and exhortations of Scripture that we're required to obey, it's actually quite few. And I hope that's freeing to you. Because that gives you all sorts of latitude to work within those parameters, with those few commands. So think about what expectations have you put upon yourself, or what expectations have you allowed Facebook to put on you, that the Bible would not put on you? With the thought that this should be able to relieve us from any false guilt that we might be carrying with regard to our kids. Now, if we are neglecting those five essential things that God does, that's different. Now, we're disregarding what our Heavenly Father commands of us. That's not cool. See, remember, he's handed these precious children to us as a stewardship. We are their stewards, and he is going to hold us accountable for our stewardship. So if he tells us, for instance, that we must teach our children to obey and require obedience, then we had better heed him and obey him. Okay, does that make sense? So, I'll stop there for a second. Any questions? Here's these, however, you know, you can organize it a bunch of ways, but here's five essential responsibilities. You are responsible for those things. All these other things, you are, some of them, most of them are take it or leave it, or they're matters of wisdom, how you're going to apply them. So don't let these things be an onerous burden to you. Like, oh my goodness, there's so much I could be doing and, and my children are deprived because I'm not doing all these things. No, you're, they're deprived if you're not instructing them in the ways of the Lord. They're deprived if you're not disciplining them when they disobey. Deprived if you're, if you're not cherishing and treasuring them. Thoughts? Questions? Yes. Yeah, so you asked, so to put flesh on it, like what are the, some of the things that we don't need to do but are, are put upon us, you know, just by the broader world? Yeah. I think there's significant pressure for them to be extremely, uh, to, to, to make them the most well-rounded people they could possibly be. So they need to pursue these sports arenas and make sure that that is developed and pursued. They need to pursue these musical arenas that that's developed and that's pursued. They need to pursue these academic and intellectual arenas and we need to make sure all of that, you know, that we give them all of those significant opportunities and if we don't then, you know, we've, we've, we've failed. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Let me ask you a question. Does, does you, is it your responsibility to make sure your kids have swimming lessons? No. No? <laughs> no. 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 When 
most of us say that's a good idea? Yeah. Yeah, we said that's too late. Right? But does the Bible put that on you? No. Oh. Just one example. Okay. Now, yes, Mike. Uh, uh, how do you know the difference between exasperating your child and trying to teach your child? Well, there's a bunch of ways. So the question is, how do we distinguish between exasperating our child and the fact that if we teach our children diligently, there might be times when they might be exasperated with our instruction? Well, if they're exa- if they're having attitude while we're instructing them in the gospel, that's you know that that's not a, if we're if I'm instructing my child in the gospel and they're rolling their eyes at me, that's not that I've that I'm sinning in exasperating them. That's their sinning in having a wrong attitude towards the instruction in the word. Now, if I there, there are a number of different things that we can do that do exasperate them. I think of inconsistency in discipline, or I think of comparing. You know, why can't you be more like your sister? You know, you know. And, and you could even tie that to, a, to Scripture. Your, your sister is so kind. God wants us to be kind. Your sister is really kind. You know, why can't you be more like the, the Scriptures and your sister? Right? I mean, I'm just throwing out a silly example. But you know, there's, there's, there's way our manner often, if we're grouchy with them you know, in our instruction, you know, you're in family worship and it's all just like, stop it! You know, you know if you make family worship a miserable time, then that's going to undercut your. That's going to exasperate them, and it's going to undercut your instruction. So a lot of it is about our manner, I would say, but then there is also about our actions, and especially consistency. But really, if our parents, or if, or sorry, if our kids know that we're cherishing them, they will overstep a lot of mistakes, even even in manner, as long as we go back and ask for forgiveness when we need to. Right. I think you're setting a whole culture. Uh, you're setting a tone in your household that's going to leave your kids prone to be exasperated or prone to understand, here's my place. I'm a sinner. Mom and dad are sinners. God's teaching them. They're teaching me. They love me. God loves them. This is pretty cool. We, you could get into specific, we'll get into lots of specifics. In fact, I'm going to talk to you in just a second about why we're going to get into specifics. So, now that we've simplified things, you only have five things to do, right? Now that we've simplified it, now it's time to complicate it. Because we're going to distinguish between what's a biblical command and what's an application of biblical wisdom. So, there are still all sorts of challenges and complexities that remain because these five different commandments can be lived out in a thousand different ways and applied in 10,000 different circumstances. And we might not all choose to do it the same way, but we might all still actually be carrying out God's commands. This is where wisdom comes into play. Because the Bible just doesn't go into specifics in lots of things. It's like, wouldn't you love to know what the Bible would, t- would tell you about how to get your kid to take a nap well? Right? But it doesn't. Right? So, this is where wisdom comes into play. Wisdom takes biblical commands and applies it in a myriad of different situations. So, for instance, you might be thinking, okay, so Brad said, the Bible says that it's my responsibility to bring my child up in the instruction of the Lord. So, how do I actually do that? What does it look like? And you say, well, it's in Hezekiah chapter 3. And you find out there isn't a Hezekiah chapter 3. So, what does it look like? Does it look like formal instruction, like a structured family worship time? 
Or is it more informal, where you're just taking the day-in and day-out circumstances of life and taking opportunities to discuss things of the Lord? Like you go home from church and in the car you're discussing, hey kids, what did you think of Mr. Walter's sermon? Right? So does it need to be formal? Or does it need to be informal? Or can it be informal? If it's formal, is it seven days a week or five days a week or two days a week? And what needs to be included? Is it prayer or missionaries or or reading scripture or praying or whatever? And I can't tell you the right answer to those questions because the Bible doesn't lay out for us a particular pattern. It just says we're to instruct our children. Or if we're looking at the discipline command... So then we think about, well, in this particular situation, should I spank them or do I take a privilege away? Should I give a warning before I give a consequence? Well, what about how do I discipline them differently if they owned up to it right away or if they lied about it before? How should the consequences be different? It's like, oh, gosh. What if, how does it all change from when they're a two-year-old to when they're an eight-year-old to when they're a 16-year-old? And these are, these are questions of wisdom. We've got to make distinction between the commands and the application of those commands. The commands are straightforward and we must obey them. But the application of the commands requires wisdom in lots of different individual situations and your individual children and might be applied in different ways by different families. So, there's two, we're on a horse, there's two ways we could fall off the horse into a ditch. First, if you as a Christian parent are making... Okay, so let's just be, be basic. If you are making no effort to teach your children the ways of God and the gospel, if you're letting PBS, disciple, PBS kids disciple them and not yourself, then just out of laziness, then it's clear you're in sin and you need to repent and you need to obey and instruct your children in the ways of the Lord. But now, let's say you go out and you tell your friend that because they don't homeschool or because they don't have family worship three times a week, that they're in sin. Well, then I think you're way out of bounds. You're out of bounds. Because you've taken a specific application of a biblical command, which you may have developed by applying wisdom to your particular situation. You're taking that particular application, and now you're applying it and generalizing it to everyone, and you're giving it the same authority. Your particular way of doing it, you're giving it that the same authority as the command itself. And that moves us into unbiblical legalism. It makes us prone to judgmentalism. We go around criticizing our brothers and sisters. Parenting is a realm that's rife for judgmentalism, right? Just easy to fall into that. And so we mustn't go around judging our brothers and sisters because they don't apply the principles of Scripture in the exact same way that we do. So that's one way to fall off the horse, taking a particular application of wisdom, making it equal to the command. What's the other way to fall off the horse? Well, it's to say that because biblical wisdom looks different in different situations, I don't have anything to learn from my brothers and sisters. That would be a mistake on this side of it. If we're not willing to listen and consider how other godly parents exercise wisdom as they apply their commands, that's kind of foolish. We need to be willing to examine our own practices and consider where we might need to make adjustments as we seek to apply God's commands. If we don't do that, we're going to get offended easily and we're going to be touchy. 
and we're not going to be open to other perspectives. So our kid might be a terror in the nursery, and they're averaging three to four temper tantrums a day, but we won't go seek counsel from wise and godly Christians, and we bristle when our home group leader's wife suggests there might be a different approach that might work better. Right? Don't be, don't be touchy. Be a learner. You're new at this. All parents start out unqualified. Or actually, I mean, the qualification is to have a baby, right? <laughs> and, but we need to be learners. We're, just because we're in the realm of wisdom and particular applications of biblical commands, it doesn't mean we don't want to be humble, think through how we're doing things, be open to input from others. Even in this class, right, we're going to get very practical in this class. And by necessity, we're going to be moving into areas of wisdom, And I want to be able to serve you and have our other teachers serve you by giving you concrete suggestions for how you might practically obey the biblical commands. We don't want to just stay theoretical in 30,000 feet. So we are going to get to the nitty-gritty and just be discerning, right? Just be discerning. Sometimes we're going to talk about God's commands. Sometimes we're going to talk about BJ's or Brad's best attempt at how we might wisely apply God's commands. Understand there's a difference. So be teachable, be willing to give us a hearing, compare what we're suggesting to what you do, but don't think that necessarily means we're saying, thus saith the Lord, right? So just make it, just understand what we're doing in the class. All right, so now that we've gone into that, I want us to look at how, what do we do to shepherd our children's hearts? How do we shepherd our children's hearts? Well, first we need to understand the nature of our children's hearts. The nature of our children's hearts are, like every other human being, is that they are worshipers. They are worshipers. What are they worshiping? Well, initially they come out of the womb worshiping idols, and especially the great God self. Right? That's our children's natural inclination is to worship self. Romans 1, 21-23, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish heart were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And you can actually see how your children are doing that. They're not worshiping and serving the Creator. They're claiming to be wise. They don't think that they need to honor the things that God thinks they need to honor, and they set up a graven image for themselves, which is themselves. Romans 3, 10 through 18, we won't read that, but suffice it to say, no one is good, not even your kid. Our children come into the world not as blank slates. What would the world say? What would the educational system say? that they're blank slates, and we need to fill them with good things, and that's going to then make them good. right? That's not what the Scripture says. Our children do not come into the world as blank slates. They come into the world with hearts that are corrupt and estranged from God and estranged from other people. They are incredibly cute. But they are incredibly cute little bundles of original sin. And as soon as they're able, they begin to express that in their behavior. Now, so they're, they're naturally worshipers. 
We hope that God in His grace will transfer them from being worshippers of idols to being worshippers of Himself. Everyone is a worshipper. We're either worshipping the God of heaven or something else. We want to see them become worshippers of God. This is what it says in 1 Thessalonians. It says that the Thessalonians' reputation has gone out. He says, Paul says, You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's what we want for our kids, isn't it? We want them to turn from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for Jesus Christ. This means that in parenting, the target that we are shooting for is the heart, because it's the heart that worships. Their inner selves. That's the part that loves, and that every moment is either inclining to what is good or inclining to what is evil. They're either hating what is good and loving what is evil, or they're loving what is good and hating what is evil. That's why we target the heart. The the behavior of our children is not the basic issue. And so targeting their behavior only is not sufficient. The basic issue is always what's going on in the heart. I don't want you to misunderstand me. This does not mean we're not concerned with behavior. We're concerned with behavior because behavior, what does it do? It reveals the heart. But the behavior alone is not the end goal. How do we know that? Because who are the poster children in the Bible for excellent behavior? The Pharisees. The Pharisees are excellent at external good behavior. We're not seeking to raise Pharisees. So this is where Ted Tripp's Shepherding a Child's Heart, which, again, we're making a bulk order for. Uh, I think it's so helpful. It's on target because it emphasizes that we're to be continually focused on the orientation of our child's heart toward God and toward others because the behavior of a child exhibits, reveals the heart. It's an expression of the overflow of the heart. Remember what Jesus says. It's not what is external that defiles a man, but from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, pride, slander, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. So if we're not accessing, and if we're not getting at our children's hearts, then we haven't really... Uh, we're not really getting to the what's most important. What we're striving to do as parents is, now we only can see the external behavior. We can't see into their hearts. But we're seeking to work backward from our, their behavior, what we can see and observe, work back to the heart so that we can expose the heart issues and the heart orientation that's being manifested in our child in any given situation. So Tripp says, your concern is to unmask your child's sin, helping him to understand how it reflects a heart that has strayed. This leads to the cross of Christ and underscores the need for a Savior. It provides opportunities to show the glories of God who sent his Son to change hearts and free people enslaved to sin. Now it's even possible... It's even possible to get at right behavior by appealing to the heart in an unbiblical way. Let me give you an example. Let's say that we bribe our children into right behavior. Right? So imagine that if my kids, I'm with my kid at Walmart, 
and he wants a toy, and I say it's no, and he throws a temper tantrum. Right? Now, I can achieve the right behavior with an unbiblical method. If I say, if you stop fussing, Daddy will get you a toy. Right? Now, here's what I've done. I've appealed to my child's self-interest in order to get the behavior that I'm desiring. Right? So my child learns that his self-interest is what's most important. He doesn't learn anything about being under my authority or being under God's authority. He knows that he can manipulate the situation to get Daddy to do what he wants if he behaves a certain way. And what that has taught my kid is that they're free to pursue... Who are they worshipping right there? Who are they worshipping? They're worshipping self. And I've just taught them that it's okay to worship self. That there's no consequences for pursuing self-worship rather than the worship of God. You see, the, see that? We can do it with emotional manipulation. That hurt mommy's feelings when you did that. Well, well now I'm, I'm trying to emotionally manipulate the, the child, and the child's now got this situation where they're trying to act, or, you know, rather than looking at clear lines of authority, they're actually, you're actually trying to emotionally manipulate. We can appeal to sinful temptations or idols of our kids' hearts to achieve the behavior that we want for our own convenience, usually. Usually we do that because it's convenient for us. Well, now our heart is exposed. Because what are we seeking? Are we seeking to love God and love our child? No, we're seeking to love ourselves and we're seeking to do whatever's most convenient. In this case, to get out of the store without a screaming kid. Right? That's what I want. So I'm willing to not love them uh, in order to get what I want. All right. By contrast, what does the scripture call us to? Scripture calls, the scripture calls us to know our kids' heart and to shepherd our kids' hearts with biblical instruction, with a biblical expectation of obedience from the heart, with biblical discipline, while we model grace and patience and love. So we need to be working for their heart, seeking to affect their heart with love and patience and grace. We work back from the behavior of our children and seek to understand. What do we seek to understand? I think this is on the sheet. Yeah, this is C1. In a given situation, we're trying to seek to understand what are the issues of the heart that are in play in this particular situation. What is the heart orientation of my child in their relationship to God fundamentally and a relationship to others secondarily. And what does their behavior reveal about what is happening in their heart? Now let me ask you, is that, is that simple? Is that, like, are you going to understand it instantly? So it's not very convenient. It takes time. It, takes, it can be tedious. And so we often opt for quick fixes, but they're not getting they're not getting to the heart. Let's see, where am I? I've lost my place. So 
we seek to instruct our child, we seek to understand what's going on in our heart, then we instruct our children in the truth of Scripture, apply discipline if needed, in order to address what's happening in their hearts. Now again, by focusing on the heart, I'm not saying that behavior doesn't matter or that we're somehow lowering the bar in terms of what we're expecting of our children. In fact, we're raising the bar for them because we're holding them now to the requirements of God's word, not only in terms of their actions, but also in terms of their heart attitudes and motivations and their orientation toward God. It's the difference. Which is, which is the higher standard? To, to send my kid to do the dishes and allow him to grumble all the way or to require that he obey and do the dishes with a, with a happy heart? Which is easier? Which is harder? It's easier to just make sure that he complies. It's harder to work through the issue, the heart issues, to say, see that he's obeying with, with a good attitude. So we're not, we're not dismissing behavior and we're not holding them to a lower standard. When we do deal with the, at the level of the heart, this is where our kids come face to face with their inability, their natural inability to obey. Right? What are we trying to do when we teach them the gospel? We're trying to show them that they are sinners unable, unable to meet God's standard. So we're trying to get them to show them their inability to obey and therefore that they need a Savior who can both forgive their sins and can give them a heart, the new heart. We talk about the new heart a lot in our house. What does the new heart do? Can the new, can the new heart obey? Yes. The new heart that God gives can obey. Can our old stony hearts obey? Can a stony heart obey? No. Stony heart can't obey. God, through Jesus, through, by faith, gives the new heart which is able to obey. Alright, so let's think about this a little bit more concretely. Let's give some suggestions of how we might work this through in a couple of different scenarios at different ages. Okay, now... Feel for this is where it gets practical. So, talk to me. Push back if you want to. And, uh, and understand what, why I'm going where I'm going. Let's look at any similarities between the following situations and what goes on in my house. Entirely coincidental. <laughs> Let's look at an 11-month-old. A little 11-month-old boy who refuses to lay still while changing his diaper. Alright? Now can't have much of a conversation with an 11-month-old about what's going on in his heart, can I? No. But does that mean I can't access the heart? No. Because what do I know from Scripture? I have some inside intel. I know from Scripture that my child is a sinner who's naturally inclined to rebel against my authority. I also have the intel that who is the authority in this situation, my child or me? What does God say? I'm the authority in his life. I mediate God's authority into his life. His obedience to me is his obedience to God. His disobedience to me is disobedience to God. So I, I know that even though he's terribly cute, this is not nece- and maybe he's even grinning at me, this is not necessarily cute, innocent, childish behavior. When you see disobedience... We need to respond with discipline and not simply redirection. So, my 11-month-old, and of course, you're, you're, I, I notice I didn't use a 5-month-old or a 6-month-old, right? I'm using an 11-month-old. If a child is old enough to understand your command, 
to understand your word, right? Stop squirming. Daddy's changing your diaper. If he's old enough to understand my word, then he's, under, then he's old enough to willfully disobey. So, even when our kids are little, you know, we're not expecting that we're going to be having all these deep dialogues when their kids are really young. But we are beginning the training process to help them establish the basic realities, especially the reality that they are under authority. That is, the, that is one of the earliest lessons of the gospel that, that we teach them. And it is a gospel lesson because they are creatures under authority. They're under God's authority, and for the moment, they're under your authority. They must learn that. So here's what I would do in that situation. Here's what I did. If I had a kid who I, I you know, my, my baby boy, he's, he's disregarding my command. Lie still, Daddy's changing your diaper. I'd pop him a little swat in the thigh. By, because by disciplining in that moment, I'm displaying my authority in their lives. It's not getting to the heart, but sometimes you can access the heart through the thigh, right? <laughs> Especially with little kids. There's, <laughs> the tailbone's connected to the heart. By laying the groundwork for them to understand that they're under authority, they're, whose will is supreme? Right? He thinks his will is supreme, and he believes that he should be able to exercise his will. I'm supposed to be teaching him that that's not the case, that his will is not supreme. All right, so if, if in the little years, if you allow them to be cooperative and not allow you, say, to change their diaper, then you're laying a foundation that they don't, you're laying a foundation that they don't have to submit to your authority and that their will is what ought to go. All right, any questions about that scenario? Yes, Heather. Something that I've observed is how we say it makes a difference even at that age. If you say it very demanding and fierce and angry, like, they'll just rebel more. So if you're saying it with kindness and getting at their heart with kindness, they will more than likely respond with kindness. Yeah, again, we're back to how do we exasperate? We exasperate when our manner is grouchy. Our manner is grouchy. We're not only just sinning against them, we're also less likely to get a good result. So I'm kind, I'm firm, and I'm expecting them to obey. All right. What about this one? Oh, gosh, I, I almost hesitated to put this one in because it's one of the toughest ones with little kids, especially kids my age. Conflict over a toy. Joy. If you were in the other room, you know, just getting the data about what happened is harder. Okay, now you got two kids yelling over a toy. You know, change the name to protect the guilty. You know, Billy. That's what you hear from the other room. And you come in and you're trying to. And, okay, all right. Well, what's happened? And you're, you're so you get, basically, what do you got? You got so what are the heart? You guys, what are the heart? On you got two kids. You've got two kids here. What is going on in their hearts? They're, they're in conflict. Maybe they've even come to blows. They're in conflict over this toy. What are they worshiping? What are they believing? What's Selfishness is going on in their hearts. In which kids' hearts? Probably both. Probably both. Does it matter who had it first? Right. That's our first instinct. Right. Who had it first? Now, I'm not actually saying that's bad, and that may be end up where you end up going. But just because I had, just because Kid A had it first, does that mean that there's not sin going on in the mix? 
Hey, there's self, there's selfishness probably with both. Beach. Idolatry. I must have, or I will crush you. I must have the joy, or I will crush you. By the way, how do you know an idol? It's when it's what you're fearful. When you when you respond with fear, if it, if you think about losing it, or you respond with anger when you do lose it, that's a decent definition of an idol. So in this moment, their idolatry is focused on the toy. I must have it, or I will crush you. Okay, my idolatry. What are they believing? What lie are they believing? They deserve it. I should be able to have this toy whenever I want. Alright, so, how do you resolve it? Well, it's tricky. You know, it's, tr- it's tricky. You know, and you're going to maybe have different house rules, and wisdom might have cause us to do it differently. But at least in that situation, we're trying to have conversations about what's going on. Now, so in my house, what we might, we might have would be, we would be talking about, okay, what is more important in this situation? Is your brother more important, or is this toy more important? What's more important? What does God say is more important, to love your brother or to love this toy? You know, you make the question simple enough, you know, you can often get the right response, right? Hopefully they're going to know, it's more important to love my brother than to love this toy. Okay, now you can... You might have several different ways of ascertaining. Does the toy just go away? Does the kid who had it first get the toy? Is the one child hoarding it and so needs to give it a turn up? There might be different... But you're trying to get not just... Stop it! Why can't you guys get to get along? This is going away, right? Now you haven't helped anything. And you've exasperated yourself. You've exasperated them, right? And, they're, and they haven't learned anything about the heart and what's going on in their, their little motivations. You're trying to uncover their motivations. What about bad attitude? This could be at any age. Bad attitude. So you've maybe issued a command and you're getting sass, you're getting rolled eyes, you're getting humps, okay? you're just, or, 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 or just grumpy. So what's going on in the heart there? What's going on in their hearts? What are some of the what are the things they're idolizing? What are some of the ways they're in sin? Pride. Pride. Why pride? Because they they want to be doing what they want to be doing and don't want anyone else to be uh, manipulating the behavior. Okay, giving them a command that would divert the behavior. Okay, so they want to pursue their own will. They're not happy that you've interposed your will into the situation. Okay, so pride. Okay, a rebellious heart. A rebellious heart might be di- there's disrespect, lack of honor, resentment of your authority. Yeah, maybe, so it's a it's a subset of pride, but we, sometimes we refer to it as you're being wise in your own eyes. You you think you know what's best, and so you're you're not following what mom and dad are saying. So that's why you're corrupting. Right. You assume you know what's best. Arrogant. So there's arrogance to say, I know what's best, mine, that don't know what's best. Okay? Lack of self-control. Okay, lack of self-control. Right? They're, they're, maybe even they, they know that this is good, but they're still not able to go and, and actually have themselves under control. Now, how would you respond to this situation? Well, it might be helpful in this situation, and especially when your kids are older, it might help to ch- just do a quick check of your own actions and your own attitude. Right? Was I clear? Was I arbitrary? 
Was I just jerking them around, right? You know, without maybe... Sometimes it's helpful to give our kids warning. Hey, listen, in two minutes, we're going to... I do this, and I, I learned this. I thought this was super when uh, a good old wise person told me this. Give your kids warning when they're about to move from... When you're about to move them from one activity to another. Don't just come in and say, stop what you're doing, we're going here. Give them lead time so that they have time to adjust. Okay? Was I checking? Was I pursuing my good at their own expense? Imagine you've checked your heart and none of those things are problems. You don't need to make. That's me saying that it's time to stop. Um, stop. Dismiss. Um, uh, you know, so you unhelpful responses could be you might just flare up at them and, and and chew them out, or you could ignore the disrespect as long as they're actually complying with what you've said. But that's not helpful. Right? That's not getting at the heart. So I think it's, you have to address the attitude. It, it might be as simple as just saying, try that again. If it's something small. Like sometimes, sometimes my kids are, my boys are old enough, to just try that again. Or it might be longer. God calls you to obey dad with a happy heart. Now you have a choice. You can either adjust your attitude or dad will adjust it for you. Now, if there's a pattern, and this is the fifth time today, we might skip that step and go right to discipline. But you're, you're seeking to address the heart. By the way, this sidebar, I just thought it might be a good time to put in. In my own opinion, here's what I think are the, the high treason offenses. They're all D's. Disobedience, deceit, disrespect, especially for mom, Defiance. Those are the things that I think absolutely I'd encourage you. No tolerance for those things. Right? Those are the things to go, to go quickly. Uh, that, that those aren't conversation topics. All right. Uh, quick caveat, just one last minute. There is some such sort of thing as too much dialogue. Uh, you know, I think that the Ted Tripp book, if there's a... It's, that you, it's expecting that you're having 15 back and forth with your three-year-old. I think that's often unrealistic, and I think often it's better to shorten things up. Remember, I say this with all respect, when they're, before they're five, you're kind of in dog training mode, right? You're seeking to establish obedience is the main thing you're seeking to establish. And so sometimes it's just as simple as, you didn't come, daddy said to come, you didn't come. You disobeyed daddy. Daddy needs to spank you. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a long dialogue, right? But you're seeking to get at the heart. You know, God calls you to obey daddy as your authority. Okay? All right. And again, we're trying to keep the gospel clearly in view. We're holding out God's standard, and we're holding out God's savior. We're holding out God's standard, which they cannot keep, just as you cannot keep and that you're not pretending that you can keep. And you're holding out to them the salvation that is in a perfect Savior who lived obediently, always with a good heart, obeying his Father, and then who died on the cross to purchase our redemption. That's what you're teaching. All right, I'm going to let you go. Thanks so much. Next week, it's going to be uh, The Art of Connection.